Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Genesis chapter number four. We're in a series entitled Modern Romance. And the goal of the series is to make the difficult work of relationships easier, not easy. Relationships are difficult, but through the series, we're hoping that they can be a little bit easier, just a little bit easier. But as I was preparing and praying and asking God what to dive into this, this message, particularly from Genesis chapter number four, I was thinking, what does every couple have in common? And that's a tough question. Some couples, when they go on vacation, they want to go to the mountains in an RV or a tent or a cabin. Or some other couples, no, they want to go on vacation to the beach and they want a condo, they want an Airbnb, they want a hotel. They, they don't want no, no tent. They want to be in comfort. Some people, they think of vacation, they want to go to Hawaii, they want to go to Vegas, they want to go to Miami. Everybody's got different things. So I was like, well, we can't really relate. We don't all have that in common. Um, we all have differences. And uh, there's things you like to do that I don't like to do. Some people like to hike. Some people don't like to hike. Some people just want to do staycations. You don't want to go anywhere. But then the one thing I thought every couple has in common, every single couple, which that in and of itself sounds funny, every single couple. It kind of sounds like an oxymoron. But every couple has one thing in common, and that is conflict. Every couple has conflict. It's amazing because you don't even have to be in a relationship, and you can still have conflict. So this morning's message is going to be helpful and applicable to all of us. But if you are in a relationship, it'll be even more helpful. Because in the book of Job, you can read it. It says, as the sparks fly upward, man is not born but many days, and then comes trouble. It's like, just like the sparks fly upward, life has got problems. And if you're in a relationship, and it could be a relationship with a sibling, it could be a relationship with a parent, could be a relationship with a spouse, a significant other, could be with a child. You are going to have conflict. But it's difficult with that conflict. What do, you, what do you do? How do you handle the conflict? And that's what this morning's message is all about. Uh, author Max Lucado said, conflict is unavoidable, but combat is optional. I like that. Conflict is unavoidable, but combat is optional. So if you are tired of arguing about everything and settling nothing, then this message will help you. So take your Bible to Genesis chapter number four. We're going to look at a unique passage of scripture, but one I do think will help and bless. And if you would like a Bible, you don't have a Bible, then by all means, we would love to provide you with one. Please ask one of our leaders on the way out. We'll get you one. But verse number one says this, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. Now I have a son named Cain, but we spell his name differently. It's K-A-N-E, not C-A-I-N. Some people hear it and they think, why would you, 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 you dislike your child? I was like, oh no. I mean, uh, truth be told, sorry, Megan, we probably like him the best, you know? I mean, we've already given him everything, so he gets the will, all, all of it. Megan will fend for herself. So she's, she's capable and old enough. She'll be fine. Just kidding, Megan, just, just kidding. But when it comes to just, just the name Cain, it, it, it evokes some emotion. But then Eve said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. 
And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions from some of the firstborn of the flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, not, you will, not, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. If you highlight, if you circle, if you underline scripture, that would be the scripture I would underline. That sin lies at the door. You must rule over it. Some of you feel bound by your sin. Scripture is clear. No, rule over that sin. Take control of what's trying to control you. Continue reading verse number eight. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. While they were there in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? Now stop for a moment. How how many firstborns in the room? Any firstborns here? Oh, we got a lot of firstborns. We're just slow to raise our hand. There you go. All right. Now, here's a silly question because God asked uh, Cain a question. uh, Where is Abel? And then Cain kind of says, am I my brother's keeper? Well, if you were the oldest, you probably got this from your parents. Hey, you're the oldest. So I expect you to watch out for the little ones because you're the oldest. I expect you to do this. Why? Because you're the oldest. And here... Cain is saying, I'm not his keeper. Well, yeah, you kind of are. You're kind of responsible. And then continue on reading. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless, wander on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, I'm sorry. I can't believe I've done this. I repent. I must make restitution. I am so sorry I did this terrible thing. Is that what verse 13 says? No. What's he saying? My punishment is more than I can bear. What's he saying? I'm sorry, not because of what I did. I'm sorry because I got caught. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I'm just sorry I got caught. That's crazy, isn't it? You murdered your brother, and you're just sorry you got caught? I mean, it's one thing that you're sorry you got caught because you stole something, you took something from somebody else's, or you broke something. It's another thing entirely when you murder somebody, and you're just sorry you got caught. Wow. The story lands heavy. Don't just read the scripture and not, not get into the emotion of it. Verse 14, today you are driving me from the land and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be restless, wander in the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that the one who found him would kill him. You know, in this passage, conflict turns critical, doesn't it? And in our relationships, it's amazing how conflict can escalate. 
It's funny to me, tomorrow I'll be celebrating 14 years of marriage with Jane, and I'm thoroughly blessed and thoroughly excited about that. But here's what's amazing thing. We've had our share of conflict. I can't always remember what the conflict was about. I remember the emotion, I remember the feeling, but I don't always know what started the conflict. You say, well, you just don't have a good memory. No, no, no. What happened is the conflict was so small, so insignificant, but it escalated into something big. It started with what restaurant we're going to go to. It started with how shall we punish the kids. It started with what disciplinary action. It started with are they allowed to have screen time or not screen time. It started with something so insignificant. Did you put gas in the car when you borrowed it? Well, it's always small. Did you spend the money or did you not spend it? It's small, but it escalates. That's the thing about conflict. It grows. And conflict is unavoidable with people you can't afford to avoid. You see, sometimes we just say, well, I don't like that person. I'm not going to go to that restaurant. I'm not going to go to that place. I'm not going to be around them. But what happens when the conflict is with a family member, a sibling, a parent, or your spouse or significant other? You can't avoid them for the rest of your life. So what do you do? Because there are some people in your life you cannot avoid. So how do you deal with the conflict? Because you can't avoid that person. I want to say it like this. If you're taking notes, please write this down. You will need a defense against offense. All conflict starts out over an offense. That's where conflict starts. It starts because somebody said something, did something that you just found offensive. You found it offensive that they, when they uh, go to get peanut butter out of the jar, they grab the spoon, they put the spoon in the jar of peanut butter, they take the bite of peanut butter, they, they finish on the spoon, and then they put the spoon back into the peanut butter for another bite, and that is offensive to you. No, that's disgusting, but offensive, no. But some people think, what, what? We all live in the same household. Why, what's the problem? You know, some of us, we get easily offended. We live in a day and age where it kind of seems like that's just, we want to get offended. Like some people are just looking for an offense where none should be taken. Some of us, we get offended when somebody looks at us the wrong way, does or doesn't do something. Sometimes I can be moving quickly and walking and some people will be calling for me because I'm partially deaf in my left ear. I don't hear them and they'll take offense at it and I didn't even mean to offend them and I didn't know they were offended. And so I, every once in a while, I do a public service announcement that I am very hard of hearing in my left ear. And my wife is like, that's easy to correct. You can go get these hearing aids. And it started many uh, discussion, a conflict. And I said, no, I'm not ready for those. I may be getting older, but no, not yet. I, I, I haven't committed to that. But yet conflict starts small and then it escalates. And there's not everybody that you can avoid. And we're just picking up these offenses. Some of us get offended by situations that have nothing to do with us. Some of us will sit in discussions in groups where other people are offended. And we pick up off of their offense. We feed off of it. You could watch something on TV and you're getting offended by what you're watching. Why do we do these crazy things? Instead of having a defense against offense, and in the relationship, you need a defense because the offense is coming. Your significant other, who you said, till death do us part, and I love this person, is going to offend you. And you're going to think that, I can't believe that they did that. They know that I hate that. They know I hate it when they put the spoon of peanut butter. They just put their little saliva on back in the jar. That's gross. That jar's yours. Put your name on it. That's yours. We're all going to use this one. And don't you use this one. 
And it's amazing how we can get so worked up, so offended. You see, Cain felt diminished because Abel's offering was accepted and Cain's was not. So he got offended because somebody else succeeded where he had failed. Instead of being happy that Abel had succeeded, he's offended. He felt smaller. He felt diminished. He didn't have a defense against the offense that was coming. He was insecure, wasn't he? Matter of fact, he wasn't just insecure. He was a little bit jealous that here, the younger brother, and I get that. I got three younger siblings. Man, when they're succeeding around me, and I kind of look at them, and I'm like trying to be happy for them, and you know you should be happy for them, but you know you work harder, and you do more, and you deserve it more, and you see them succeeding with less effort and less energy, and you're just like, I know I'm supposed to be happy, but I'm not really happy for you, but I'm going to pretend, and I'm going to fake that I'm happy. It's hard. So here Cain feels diminished. What does it mean? He felt smaller. I had a conversation with the pastor this past week, and we sit down over coffee. I had an expectation about how the meeting would go, and so we get there, and it didn't go like my expectation. You see, pastors, we don't get to brag. There's just not, it just doesn't sound very humble. So we get together with each other, and we kind of brag to each other. And I didn't know that that's what this pastor really needed. He just wanted to brag on all his blessings. Now, I was like, okay, I'm here. He, who else can he talk about these things with? So I'll just kind of take it. He bought me coffee, even though it's Starbucks, which has genuinely bad tasting coffee. You know, it's like, okay, I'll just sit here. But then he just kept going on about all his blessings and how he bought this and how he's got that. And mind you, I hadn't heard the, our good news. This is on Monday. And I'm just like, life's not very good for me, but I'm glad it's good for you. And the whole time as he's talking about this thing's going well and this thing's going well, and he's got this money coming in and he just bought this and this is happening for him. I am praying to God and I'm saying, God, please help me from punching this person in the throat. Because as he was talking, he was getting happier. I'm actually getting and feeling smaller, like I'm not successful. And what's wrong with me? I was not receiving the information I'm hearing. All that I was taking in was what's wrong with me. It's a narcissistic tendency, isn't it? It's a very selfish tendency. And the entire time, I was just like, God, help my face to be happy for this man. God, tell my face to smile. Because I just couldn't. So I get it here. In this passage of scripture, Cain, he just can't accept that somebody else is succeeding. But I want you to understand something. You can't worship when you're offended. I've seen people try to lift their hands and worship. If you're offended, you ain't going to be worshiped. Matter of fact, what did Jesus tell the people that brought an offering? He said, hey, if, you're, if you have a, an offense against your brother, leave your offering. Don't even give it and go make that right. Then try to give it. But how many times do we come into church? And I want to ask you to raise hands, couples. You got in a fight on the way to church. I, I, Jane and I have this thing. Every time there's a relationship series, we kind of are like, buckle up. We're going to fight a lot. And we're going to get to practice what I'm preaching. All right? It's just going to happen. The offense is coming. But if you are truly, honestly trying to worship God, you can't worship him like you should if there's an offense in your heart. And so here we see he can't worship. And many people have speculated why didn't God accept Cain's offering? And some people say, well, it's because it was the work of his hands. Well, in parts of Leviticus, no, there was a wheat offering and a barley offering that God would accept. So I don't think it's actually the offering. Now, this is purely speculation. 
I think it's his attitude. Because the Bible says that God loves a cheerful giver. So it's not the amount you bring to God, but it's the attitude of which you bring it. I know people that have brought a big offering with a lousy heart, and I'm like, actually, why don't you just keep that? We, we don't want to touch that. That thing's cursed. You say, what do you mean it's cursed? It's cursed with your bad attitude. You're giving grudgingly. You're not happy to bring it to God. You're upset that you have to bring it to God. And God wants a cheerful giver. He wants somebody that's like, man, I get to bring something to God? The God who loved me and God who's good to me and the God who sent Jesus to die on the cross for an undeserving sinner like me? I'm grateful to give it. Can I give more? You see, the attitude changes. You see, what had happened was that Cain had created the conditions for conflict. And this morning, sometimes we create conditions for conflict. What were the conditions? Pride, envy, jealousy. The Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter number two says this, verse three, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you in the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mind as Christ Jesus. Cain murdered Abel for the lowest reason, jealousy. The conflict was over jealousy. The things that we do. Are you creating an environment, the conditions for conflict? You know, Cain blamed Abel for his actions. Just like Adam blamed Eve for his actions. Last week, the message was how to transform trauma. And I will tell you this. If you do not transform your trauma, you will transfer your trauma. Because Adam had trauma in his life that he passed on to Cain, and Cain is now living in that trauma. Sometimes you and I don't even understand the trauma that's been passed down to us, and if you don't want to give it to your kids, your grandkids, your coworkers, your significant other, then allow the Holy Spirit of God to say, Lord, I have this trauma, this thing that's hard and difficult, and I need you to restore it and repair it. And the Holy Spirit of God will go to work on that trauma in your life, because the most dangerous thing you and I can do is to not allow the Holy Spirit to transform the trauma. And you think it's okay. No, it's not because it's being transferred to other people around you and they're stepping on it like a landmine. I call it love landmines. You're in a relationship with somebody you love and you didn't know. You just stepped into their trauma and you triggered something. You had no, you didn't do it. You didn't cause it, but now you've stepped into it. So you've got to say, Holy Spirit, help me. Adam did not help Cain with the trauma. So you say, what do I got to do? You need to manage the moment. Manage the moment. Conflict starts in a moment, does it not? It's amazing how you can just be subtly going along and then the conflict just starts. You can get into the smallest arguments. I say it like this to Jane. I'll say something like this. I'll say, it's not what you said, but how you said it. And that's never good. Never goes off. And I'll say it like this. It's your tone that I don't like. It's not what you said. It's just your tone. It's just your tone. You know how ambiguous tone is? Like, I'm hard of hearing. I can't hear most tones. I can't hear low tones. I can't hear high tones. So who am I to talk about tones? Most of them are gone. And yet, here am I. I'm talking about tones. What am I trying to do? I'm not managing the moment well. 
And in the scripture, it even shows us that God in his mercy comes to Cain, seeing that Cain has a bad attitude, and he comes to him, and in verse number five says, excuse, verse six, then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Verse seven, if you do what is right, you will be accepted, but if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. What is God trying to help him to do? Hey, you need to manage this moment right now. Hey, this is gonna turn into something. And some of us, it's like, you can kind of sense um, growing up, sometimes my siblings, we'd watch out for each other. We'd be like, oh, hey, mom's on the warpath. Stay clear. Don't, don't let mama hear you say that. But it's like, oh, batting down the hatches. It's rough. No, no, no. And we can do that in a relationship. But instead, it's like, wait a minute. We need to manage this moment, not minimize this moment. Not, hey, what's wrong with you today? Hey, what's your problem? No, those, those words never help anything unless you want to escalate the tension. So how do you manage it? You see, how you manage the moment will determine what the next few moments will look like. Let me say it again, because you can often miss that. How you manage the moment will determine what the next few moments look like. So when they have an attitude or a tone that you dislike, don't say, hey, what's wrong with you? Did you pray or something today? I think you need to go pray. That never goes well. Don't try to leverage the Bible to beat somebody with it or spirituality. People do that. Christians are famous for doing that. Great peace. They would love thy law. Nothing shall offend them. Why are you offended? You don't love God's law. Little sinner. Of course I'm a sinner. I am a sinner. I'm fallen. And I don't always love God's law like I should. You're correct. Because I'm human. And I'm running three hours of sleep, not enough caffeine. See, things happen. But yet you and I don't manage the moment well. And then the next few moments, they escalate and it gets worse. The conflict grows. There was uh, one of the first fights that I can remember with Jane. I don't remember what the fight was about, but I didn't drink coffee at the time. It was a cold night. And so um, the coffee shop at our college sold hot cocoa. But I wanted to look tough, right? So I'll have the hot cocoa, please. I don't drink coffee. <laughs> Little marshmallows on top. Oh, you got whipped cream too? Yeah, the chocolate syrup. Yeah, put that on. But put a lid on. I don't want anybody seeing it. And then we got in a little argument, a little tiff, a little something. And I was mad. So I took the lid off and I threw my hot chocolate down. And I just stood there and looked at her. <laughs> and she didn't know what to do. She started laughing, giggling. It was funny. And that just made me more mad because my ego. It's like, oh, I just threw my hot cocoa. That cost like $2.50. Isn't it silly? It's so funny what we, can, what we can get into an argument about because we're not managing the moment. You know why you don't manage the moment? Because you don't have enough margin emotionally and mar enough margin in your time, your schedule. For the longest time, we're coming up on 14 years of marriage, I took this one verse out of context. It said, let not the sun go down upon your wrath. So I would force Jane to stay up all night until we settled the conflict. You ever heard of torture that they did to, you know, the jihadis and things like that? Yeah, yeah, that's what it was. When you want to go to sleep, but somebody won't let you go to sleep. Yeah, that's wicked. That's terrible. But yeah, we take that one verse. Oh no, we need to solve this problem. You know what? If we both just slept, had a good night's rest, and we just put a pin in it. We just say, hey, we're not feeling great about each other, but we do love each other, and we're going to work through this. But let's get a different, let's get a good night's sleep, and if we sleep in different rooms, that's fine, because we're going to come back to this. But us staying up all night is going to solve nothing but us saying more things we already regret. 
How many times have you said things you regretted because you were taking one verse and you're like, we can't let the sun go down upon his wrath, and you have no emotional bandwidth to manage the moment? So you just start saying the stupidest things. And here's what's amazing. Guys, we are good about forgetting things. Our significant other, on the other hand, is very good about never forgetting. It's like they have a little mental log. Mm-hmm. You said that? Oh, that's going, I'll save that. That's a good one. I'll remember you. That's good. And they file that one away. I don't know where. Now, here's what's crazy. They not, may not know your blood type. They might not know what your IQ is, but man, they remember what you did in 1986 on a Tuesday night at 731 in the mall. They just, they got the details. They got everything. You know why? Because women connect a emotion to the moment which cements it in their mind. Guys, we don't really take a memory and emotion. That's why we don't remember it. That's why we have to really work at those things. It's not how we're wired. Because men are wired to go to war and do things that would be traumatizing. It's just how we're wired. And so we're not managing the moment. And guess what? Because Cain didn't manage the moment, his life's outcome forever changed. To think about it. He was a man who could grow crops, a man who loved to work the soil. And don't get me wrong. Some of you that have raised cattle have worked on a ranch. That's cool. I've worked on a ranch. You fix fences. You keep the cows in the pen. You got to make sure they got some food. But I mean, most of the day, you're not really worried about it. You're not really worried about it. Farmers, on the other hand, it can't be too hot, can't be too cold. You got to get out there early. You got to get the weeds. Got to make sure there's no bugs around it. I mean, this is a 24-7 thing that you're constantly thinking about it. It's a hard job to be a, a farmer. That's difficult. And so here is Cain, and he's saying, man, I love what I did, and now it's forever taken. Why? Because he did not manage the moment. And I see this happen so many times. We don't manage the moment. Why? Because we are competing and not connecting. We're, 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 we're in this competition mode. Why? Because in verse number one, we see the king's firstborn. There's something in the firstborn that says, hey, I got to get there first. You got to get there. I got to be the best. I got to do it. I'm the firstborn. And we're not worried about connecting. We're worried about competing. You see, Cain became an attacker instead of the ally. Cain should have been Abel's greatest ally. Abel should have been like, this is my big bro. The one I look up to, the one that watches out for me, the one that helps me. But the ally became the attacker. And some of us, when we get in conflict, we're supposed to be our partner's greatest ally, our spouse's greatest ally, and we are the worst attacker. Oh, God, help us. God, help us. I want to give us some things. You see, what would you rather have in the relationship, an attacker or an ally? And I know you're thinking ally, so here are some rules for conflict resolution. First of all, no distractions. You're going to deal with something, deal with something. Don't have the TV on. Don't go into a noisy restaurant where the waiter is coming through. And there's some restaurants that have very good food, but the waiter wants to keep you moving. You know what I mean? They're coming back. You're done? Okay. They just stand there until you pay. I mean, they don't want you sitting because they got more people they need to get at the table. Don't go try to solve anything at a restaurant like that. Hey, don't try to do it with kids running around your feet. Don't try to do it as you're on the phone. Uh-huh, uh-huh. No distractions if you're dealing with conflict. No distractions. Oh, here's one. No dismissing eye roll. Somebody say, oh. No sighing. 
My boys are famous for that. They get it from their dad. I'm a sire. I'm not an eye roller. Now, some of your kids, though, I've seen some of your kids. Some of your kids got looks that could kill. Some of your kids, man, they look like they'd be little stabbers one day. I mean, man, they got those eyes. And then you give a side eye, you're like, whoa, whoa, I saw that, man. That's daggers right there. So no sighing, no eye roll, no correcting while listening. In 1986, on a Tuesday night at 7.01, it was 1985. Don't do that. We do that. We like to get the facts straight where that's not really what matters. Don't interrupt. Don't correct while they're trying to talk through, while they're sharing. No debate until both sides have been heard. Never use never and always. Because it's not true. You're never that consistent. I wish you were that consistent. But yet we say, you're never on time. And you're like, well, there was that day in 1986 on a Tuesday at 7.01 that I was on time. So you can't say never. And, and they just want to blow their stack. And you can't say always. But yet when we're uh, in a conflict, we use these words, don't we? There's more. No solutions until both sides have been heard. We love to just give a solution. Because some of us in our mind, we're not listening. We already got the solution. We're just waiting for them to shut up so we can give them our solution to their problem. I learned a long time ago, sometimes I don't need to offer a solution. People can just talk. And I don't need to fix their problems. And matter of fact, some people have called me wanting to dump their problem on me. And I'm just like, well, I hope you find a solution for that. They're like, wait, aren't you going to fix my problem? No. No. I got enough of my own that I can't fix. I don't need to take on yours. No, thank you. No, thank you. Don't need that. But yet, so many times, we do have a solution for our significant other. Oh, it would be so much easier if they just did this and did it like me. No. No solution until both have been heard. No attacking. No name-calling. If you want to be heard, you have to be able to listen. How many times we don't feel heard, but we don't actually listen? We're like, you never listen to me. Well, that's because you don't hear them out. So when it comes to this this mindset, we need to connect with them. Stop competing with them. Look for ways to connect with that person. Also, confront without being confrontational. Look at verse number six. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? Will you not be accepted? Where is your brother? Think about that. God asked Cain four questions. You can use a question to confront somebody. But here's what's also amazing. God also, in his infinite knowledge, knows all things, already knew that Cain had murdered Abel. You would think God would come in hot. I can't believe what you just did. You just murdered your brother. We just started the human race, and you're already killing him off. I'm trying to get something going, and you're stopping it. You would think God would be hopping mad, just angry. And God would have every right to be, but he doesn't do that, does he? He asks a question. Why are you angry? Why are you upset? When's the last time you were in a conflict and you looked at your significant other and said, man, I'm sorry. How did that make you feel when I said that? Well, it made me feel how my mom would make me feel. Oh, man, I know your mom and your relationship is really strained. That's, I didn't know I was doing that. 
And then after I said that, then how did that make you feel? Or, or, or what did that trigger inside of you? Or, or what could I do better? Or um, how can I fix this? Or what would be meaningful to you in this moment? What if you ask questions? You see, you can confront somebody and you can ask questions. But yet nowadays we don't confront. We just get confrontational. I walked into the house a long time ago, years ago. And I asked, how are things going? Fine. Fine doesn't mean fine. Like, like just in case you haven't realized that, when they say it's fine, it's never fine, okay? And then especially when they're still cleaning the same dish for the past 15 minutes, and like, everything is fine, you know? They're just, they, they, they've gone in autopilot mode. They're in their mind. They're really thinking this thing through. They're problem solving, and they don't know that they are just, they've, they've checked out, and the body's on autopilot cleaning the same dish. But yet you can walk in, and all of a sudden, man, there's a moment there, and you can say, oh, how do I confront without being confrontational? You see, what confrontation does, then we feel like we're being attacked. I've left one out, and this is take notes. What if you were in a conflict and you pulled out a pen and pulled out a journal, not so you can remember all the mean things they say, but you can actually write it down and say, hmm, I need to work on that. Okay, I could work on that. Because nobody is intimidated when somebody is taking notes from the argument. Not to attack, we're saying, okay, I am a jerk. Hmm, okay, you hate my guts. Hmm, you want to kill me. Okay, this is not going well. But nobody's intimidated by that. Your, your posture changes. It's not an aggressive posture. It's a posture that says, hey, I'm looking towards a solution. Because too often what we're doing in relationships, especially with conflict, instead of resolving the issue, we're dissolving the relationship. Instead of resolving the issue, we just dissolve the relationship. And God doesn't want you to do that. God was even trying to restore Cain. Can't you see the mercy and the goodness of God in this passage where he's trying to bring Cain back? He knows that Cain's about to go over the edge and he's trying to lovingly bring him back. And as a matter of fact, he even says, Cain, I won't let anybody kill you, even though an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, that was the Old Testament. Even though that was the way things were, God said in his mercy, even though you've killed, I won't let anybody kill you. Wow, God is good. You say, okay, what do I do with all this? I've got conflict. How do I deal with it? I'm going to say this. God gave him the option in verse 7. If you do what is right, you will, you will be accepted. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. You need to confess and change. You need to confess and change. And maybe right now you're thinking, but I'm not wrong. And that is the cause of many conflicts. Maybe you're right. Maybe you're not wrong. Good. I don't have to apologize. I didn't say that. You see, you are more concerned about winning the argument than winning the relationship. And you need to say, what's it going to take because I want this relationship to work? And you are so fixated that you will not say, I'm willing to change and confess because understand this. God comes to him in verse number 10 and said, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
And God is reminding Cain, saying, hey, I know what you've done. I know what's happened. And, and Cain's uh, blood is crying out. It's crying out for what? It's crying out for justice. In today's society, people are crying out for justice. But then I came to another passage in Hebrews chapter number 12. Because maybe you say, I don't want to apologize. I don't want to confess. I don't want to change. And I love Hebrews 12, 24. It says, to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and to the blood of sprinkling that speaks, get this church, better things than that of Abel. There's a new covenant that speaks of better things. You see, yes, Cain killed Abel, and Abel's blood cries out for justice, and Jesus, who gave his life, his blood was shed, and Jesus' blood cries out, but Jesus' blood cries out for something better. Do you know where the blood was sprinkled that they took from Jesus? It was taken to heaven. It was sprinkled on the altar. You know what the altar was called? The mercy seat. Why would God have Jesus' blood sprinkled on the mercy seat because we live in a culture that wants justice. Somebody cuts you off. Somebody cheats you. Somebody betrays you. You want justice. And today, people are raising their fists saying, I want justice. I've been wrong. And the one person who suffered the greatest injustice, you know what his blood cries out for? Mercy. And yet we have a culture, even in the church, that says, I want justice and not mercy. You say, what is Mercy. It's not grace. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what you do deserve. You and I deserve to be like Cain, a wanderer, constantly searching and to never be satisfied. But yet our good God, he comes in, he says, oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. He comes to satisfy the deepest longing and desires of your heart. God comes in with the blood of Jesus that cries out a better word. And he says, I've sprinkled it on the altar, the mercy seat. And Jesus' blood cries out for mercy. Mercy for the children that are lost. Mercy for the ones that have sinned. Mercy for the murderers, the adulterers, the ones who have gone wayward, the ones that are sinners, the ones that are far from God. There's a better word that speaks this morning. And because there's a better word, I can confess and I can change. And it doesn't matter because I need the relationship to work. And I need conflict resolved. So when you feel like, I need to win this, that wasn't the spirit of Jesus. The spirit of Jesus said, God, here's the blood. When you look at them, I want you to show them mercy. Never cry for justice. We got a culture that's crying out for justice. You don't want God to be just. You should be afraid if you want justice from God. Justice is hell. Quite literally, justice is hell. That's true justice. And I will tell you this, I wish justice on no man, no woman, no person. I wish mercy on them because I wish mercy on me. Because I I want mercy. And you want it too. So this morning, you're going to dissolve the relationship? Or you're going to choose to say, no, let's not dissolve this thing. Let's resolve the conflict and allow God to do a miracle of healing. Give the Holy Spirit space to work. Let the Holy Spirit work in the relationship. Let the Holy Spirit work in your life and say, God, I need you to do this because this relationship is dissolved. And so, Father, I'm going to give you space. So, Father, just pour out your mercy. Can we stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? 
Heavenly Father, I just pray right now for these that are here. Worship team, would you step out? In just a moment, we're going to sing in song of worship. But as we do, I'm going to invite you, if you'd like to slip out and you want prayer this morning, I'll be here to pray with you. Your relationship is struggling. You say, we need prayer over our relationship. I would be honored to pray with you and for you. Or maybe you're here and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior and you want to receive Christ because there is a better word that Abel's, than Abel's blood. It's the word of Jesus that cries out for mercy. And you say, today I want to receive the merciful forgiveness of my sin. If that's you, we want to pray for you to receive it. Heavenly Father, I pray that you bless. Father, I pray for mercy, not justice. I'm done crying out for justice. There's a new covenant, and the new covenant cries out for mercy. I pray that, Father, we would draw close to you. As the worship team leads us in a song of worship and praise, if you'd like to make an altar of your seat and kneel and pray there, if you'd like to slip out and pray here, I invite you now, you slip out and spend time in prayer. Thank you again for spending time with us today. And a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.